You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey, Sugar. I'm Erica Michelle. I host a voice diary called Brown Sugar Diaries on the Rock Candy Network, where I spill all the tea about my dating experiences, life lessons, my journey to healing and wholeness, my life as an entrepreneur, student doctor, CEO of a nonprofit, and I give my opinion on the current happenings of the world. You see why I have this voice diary? I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Tune into Brown Sugar Diaries wherever you listen to podcasts, and let's sip on this tea. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right, we are continuing our book club discussion about the power worshipers. Uh, Do start with the first episode. You will be very lost. I am once again joined by uh, (laughs) Notorious Alcoholic and... (laughs) Why do I always get introduced as a notorious alcoholic? <laughs> it's not. I'm not notorious. You. I'll tell you exactly where I am and where I'm drinking. <laughs> and what? And what? <laughs> and what? And then you will tell us all of the things that you told your therapist yesterday. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's what drinking is for, to just recall therapy. Which is why, for this conversation about evangelical trauma, we are getting very sloshed. <laughs> um <laughs> And we are joined by Madam Librarian herself, the office manager of Rock Candy Recordings, Rebecca Shaw. Hello, hello. All right. So we are continuing the conversation. Um, again, thanks to my patrons for making the show possible. Also, thanks to everyone leaving very nice five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. All of that really does help. If you haven't already, just leave five stars on Apple Podcasts or write a nice little review, and I will read it on air. Is This isn't on air. This isn't live. I will read it on the show. <laughs> um, please do that. It really does help. Okay. So we have a lot to talk about, so let's just get right into it. Um, so... We were going to to discuss briefly about hell houses. So by the time, by the way, by the time this episode comes out, the uh, presidential election might have happened, and so we might be uh, we we might be coming to you from the sunny pre-apocalyptic past uh, here in October, <laughs> <laughs> live on toxic air. Good, good try. Um, (laughs) So, okay, Rebecca, you were going to tell us about hell houses. Right. Oh, man. I was just thinking back to Matt, you were saying something about black and white viewpoints within evangelical Christianity and how, you know, this child evangelism thing. Child evangelism fellowship. Thank you. Um, You know, you you go and you paint this picture that's very stark, very black and white, very like, if you don't walk this fine line, Mm -hmm. you are condemned. Right. Like, if you give in to being a person, (laughs) you are condemned. Yeah. And my church never did this. We actually did trunk or treat, which I think was very trunk or treat, trunk or treat, trunk or treat, treat, where we, you know, we would like, we were on um, a main road 
And so we would have church members uh, bring their cars and set up like a little trick-or-treating thing yeah. for for people, um, which was, I think, fairly progressive for them. Yeah. It, was, it was a good community engagement where it, for once they were not overly... Uh, pushy but this was like the sterilized alternative to actually going out and trick-or-treating well and it was with your we friends. were also close to a neighborhood so it was yeah. like wrapped into that um yeah but it, it was supposed to be like a sterilization of halloween of some sort but then there then one year i got invited to go to a hell house which happened in the church like it, it started in their basement and it it took you through this little dramatization of the story and yes. one of the the members i it was the only one i've ever been to so i have no uh-huh. context outside of this experience but this you know this family and one of them is obviously not christian you have the not christian character and the ones who are trying to save them and you can't see my air quotations because this is a no yes yeah, so, so if, we, <laughs> if we back up just a little bit because i think this is a really fun thing yeah like so hell houses or judgment houses, as they're called, are essentially whenever churches go and they're they're most of the time like Protestant evangelical churches. Yes. They will gut out the the church and they will create these little stations. It's like a haunted house. Scene, yeah, like a haunted house, but for scenes to happen and scenes to play out. Scenes of hell. Right. Yeah. So so you and, go in and damnation. So you essentially like go into there and you're introduced to these characters. Now the characters are played by most of the time by people in the youth group. Right. <laughs> We're probably child evangelism fellowship members as well. I don't know. There's no way to know. We can't go back in time. Um, but they will follow these two characters through these different scenes. And yeah. so you as a group are moving through the church with your friends that you've invited to come to this or with your own youth group. And throughout these different scenes, you see this narrative of these two kids who essentially one chooses the path of righteousness and the other one chooses a path of eternal damnation. And you get to see in the Christian's mind, actually, like yeah. what this actually looks like. It's a reinforcement of the Christian worldview and it how is. they believe that the world operates. And mm. and it's very interesting. There were a few traumatizing points of this for me. One was a car wreck, mm-hmm. which because at some point in the narrative, these people have to die. Which is traumatic. Right. Um, and, and they can't die peacefully. Heaven forbid. <laughs> <laughs> they can't die a good death where they, they're surrounded they have by to friends. Try. They have to die in a way that is traumatic for everyone involved. Right. Uh, in, in the case of the one I went to, it was this horrific car crash. And then you are further traumatized by walking through... And there, there's this, again, coming back to the mythos that we talked about in the first episode, the seven circles of hell. Mm-hmm. So it was layered, and you eventually worked your way up into the sanctuary. Which is more of a Dante and it was, yeah, it version was of very hell than Dante. maybe the biblical one. It was very, very um, Paradise Lost. Yeah. I remember seeing a documentary about hell houses. This was several years ago. There's a, there was, I forget... I think it was just called Hell House, not the semi-decent found footage movie on Shudder, but... Um, <laughs> Plug to Shudder. <laughs> call out to Shudder. Um, so there was one scene about like a gay guy who was dying of AIDS and how he was being dragged down into hell yep. while dying of AIDS. Just mm-hmm. horrific. So, sounds like a... A spinoff of Angels in America. Well, it it 
thinking back on it now, it was really like a dramatization of chick tracks. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah. So kind of hearkening back to the first part of our conversation in the last episode, which was about the infiltration of Christian nationalism into schools and and into kind of youth settings to capture the minds of young people right. and the hell house is just another way another of doing extension that. of that another mm-hmm. extension yeah. of doing that scaring children shitless and presenting things in a very very black and white context there's no room for error right so all right speaking of horror it's past Halloween now, but we're going to go with the <laughs> Halloween theme and talk about bodily autonomy mm. and the uh, Christian nationalist uh, uh, disregard and outright abuse. Also, Michael Myers' disregard for it. I mean, Christians are very similar to Michael Myers. Yes, he preys on young women. <laughs> if I may be so bold. As to Absolutely. Make so we should just insert, uh, because Christian nationalist has ki- is kind of a vague term, we should just insert Michael Myers now whenever, <laughs> just, <laughs> just substitute one word for the other. So there is, a, there is a chapter in The Power Worshippers that discusses bodily autonomy. And I found this one of the most horrific chapters in the book. I did as well. Because it... It talks about Catherine Stewart, the author. It talks about Catherine Stewart's own experience with this mm-hmm. and how there are and how the the hospital system in America is I don't know what percentage, but it's a it, large percentage. She, Particularly I have it the right Catholic. here. Yeah. I have the I have the chapter open right here. It's one in six hospital beds is under a Catholic run institution. And and so these these hospitals, these Catholic hospitals mm-hmm. are governed by a list ethical and religious directives yes e r d s e r d s ethical religious directives okay um and basically you know it's it's been a while since i read this chapter so i'm working off of memory most that's right of i have it pulled up right here so i can fact check you great thank you the <laughs> madam librarian is on it thank you politifact shaw <laughs> <laughs> so Basically, these these hospitals operate under very strict conditions of in a in a myopic and obsessive way, protecting, quote unquote, the sanctity of life. Well, and how this often turns out is actually denying people necessary services that could save their life until the very last moment mm-hmm. right. in which it is necessary, which means causing horrific undue trauma to people who need life-saving interventions but because say it could potentially result in the death of a fetus they put the woman's body the mother's body i should say um through through undue trauma and peril and peril yeah and and catherine's catherine stewart's personal story here i i think was it a a pregnancy that had it was a pregnancy gone awry yeah yeah um, and actually i've there's part of me that doesn't want to hatch her own egg for right. her because it's it is absolutely worth picking up this book even for yeah. just being able to read through this chapter because she beautifully crafts w- this very dramatic experience for her yeah and how all of these different sort of outside factors right that are religiously motivated actually end up hindering and hurting and damaging people it, she it's she she doesn't give the only anecdotal 
No, she uh, does change names of people that she she quotes. And the chapter is called Controlling Bodies or What Religious mm-hmm. Liberty Looks Like from the Stretcher. Right, right. Um, and she she's incredibly brave to to bring this up and and to to share her you know not not only just the story in general but these stories um and and something that i think is worth pointing out we were talking about the ethical and religious directives these directives are not decided by a board of medical practitioners right. these are determined by bishops yes mm-hmm. by religious leaders who may you know who have presumably no medical training um, also who haven't taken hippocratic oaths right who, who haven't taken hippocratic oaths who are also presumably celibate and men and also <laughs> yes the thing that struck me the most was that um as she's talking about her own story she didn't know any of this at the time and it was only when she was writing this book that she found out about um you know the the catholic run directives right, right. And something she points out over and over again is they don't have to tell you why they are denying you treatment. Right, exactly. So if the closest hospital to you is a Catholic hospital, and you may not know it's Catholic, and you it may, may not be... know, and it, and it's run by these yeah. by these directives invented by bishops, then you could find yourself in a hospital bed with a pregnancy gone awry. And literally having your life put at risk mm-hmm. because of these undue religious yes. burdens. And this is a violation of the patient's religious freedom. Yeah. This also ties in not just with, um, you know, she, she primarily focuses on abortion and how that plays into this. But she also discusses um, a very specific end of life scenario mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, these these directives can determine if you have chosen to say, you know, I've been given six months to live. Right. I, you know, know it's going to be painful. I know it's going to be horrific. It, you know, I'm going to lose my memory. I don't want to put myself and my family through that. Right. I, I would it like takes to... away your freedom to choose yes. how, how, why, and when you are a burden to those around you. Yes. Uh, in a very critical phase of life. That, and that's maybe that's not the best way of phrasing that. For for me, that's how right. I would feel. Have have either of you read Andrew Solomon? I have not. And his work on suicide. So he wrote a book called The Noonday Demon, which is about depression. But there's a chapter on it about in, in that book about suicide. And he talks about the um, the oh, what's the technical term for it? Aided suicide um, of his mother, mm. and his mother decided that it was time for her to go. Yeah, and. Yeah. And it, it's an incredibly powerful and moving story, but basically uh, one of the points that he drives home is that he never, he, the author, never wants to be put in a, into a position where the choice of suicide is taken away from him because the, the choice to live is a fundamental human right, and, and it's uncomfortable to talk about it. It's uncomfortable to think about this. But, but the choice to die with dignity is is a fundamental human right. And that, mm. you know, that's a, that's a huge ethical issue that we don't really have to get into in this show. And it, it looks different in cultures all it across looks, the world. Well, and, it does. And in religions. And so if, yeah. if a person with a specific religious tradition, take a pagan or, you know, an atheist or not that that's a religious tradition, but, but people right. with different views of the universe, 
their autonomy and their choice of how they want to die. And can you think of like a more significant and human choice? Yeah to be made how to die how do you and when to die like that is an important choice Mm -hmm. and to find yourself entirely by accident by like the roll of a dice this just happened to be the hospital bed that you landed in and for that choice to be taken away from you because of these bishops um deciding what is right and wrong for you even if you are not of their religion. Right, it's taking away taking away your agency yeah. in a very critical moment of your life or, or end of life. Um Right. Yeah. And the and the thing is, you know, she goes into this doesn't just affect hospitals. It's the the instance with the end of life situation that she cites was in hospice care. Mhm. That yeah. was also a Catholic-run facility. Or she even mentions um, an incident with a pharmacist <clears throat> who denied birth control, I think it was. I could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, I, I think it was. I think I it was birth control correctly. to you know, th- this woman who had, like, she had a prescription for it. Right. And he was like, well, this goes against my belief, so I'm denying you right. this medication. Right. And that just ties into this whole idea. Um, and this comes back to broader themes within within American Christianity of men controlling women's bodies. Absolutely. Mm, yes. And, and that hit me as a woman. Of course. Of, of so many ways that I have been told not to lead men astray, how, you yeah. know, women's bodies are commented on in mm-hmm. so many different ways. And so this chapter particularly hit me really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely imagine how that would be the case. And Catherine Stewart's personal story here is how she had a pregnancy gone awry. She landed by accident, completely unsuspecting, into this Catholic hospital, Mm -hmm. and she bled out. 40% of her her blood. Yes, 40% of her blood. And she was there for hours, just bleeding. And she was begging for help. Like, please, I need help. Mm-hmm. I can feel myself dying, basically. Yeah. And I mean, it's this harrowing story. And it all came down to they don't want to right. Im- impose on the fetus. Right. right. And having actual medical professionals who are dealing with her type of scenario day in and day out feel like to that they should be doing something different right. and that they want to be providing aid and caring for someone, but because of these religious directives, that they're actually asked to go against what they believe right. to be And they're at risk of their losing job. their jobs right. if they go against it. And you, know, you think about the statistics at the beginning of the book, one in six hospital beds, that's a lot. It's a ton. That's so many. And you can land in one of those <laughs> entirely by luck of the draw. Yes. Yeah. And so there's also the the broader issue here of um, of abortion, which the Satanic Temple has been trying to address. I believe right. does she mention that in this book, or am I imagining that? I don't. I don't remember. I think I, she does. She might. I don't. It's Neil been Gaiman a while. posted about it recently. Who did? Neil Gaiman. Oh, really? He did. Yeah, on his Tumblr. About. About TST? Because I'm old and not Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, people can go listen to this, to these episodes that I did. I did an, an episode with Jane Essex about the uh, TST abortion ritual. Mm. 
uh, the Satanic Temple abortion ritual, which, of course, made gigantic waves and reinforced a lot, didn't reinforce, but made people even more suspicious of, you know, what Satanists are actually doing with unborn babies. But all that aside, (laughs) um, the real the real purpose for this is to provide security and support for for Satanist people with wombs who find themselves pregnant and need an abortion for whatever reason. But a lot of states, especially southern states, impose horrific, uh, horrific traumatizing, con- traumatizing horrific mm. constraints on access to abortion. For example, one that's most crazy to me is the requirement of a burial ritual for the fetal remains. Really? So there are certain states, and it varies state by state, you need to have a funeral service or some kind of 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 funeral for the aborted remains mm-hmm. and and so it, and in some states the the require the, the cost of this service lands on the person who had the abortion mm-hmm. right that is and, something and I so wasn't aware of they are yeah and so they are put that's just one of many examples of putting undue burden on people who need abortions, all of which emphasizes the the fundamentalist Christian belief that a fetus, no matter the term, no matter that, that life starts at conception, full stop, period, and that any kind of intervention after that um, to end the pregnancy is actually murdering a person. And so there's also required religious uh, reading that mm-hmm. takes place there's a there's a waiting period where a a person will check in to get the abortion and then they'll say okay well now you need to wait 48 hours or you need to wait 24 hours right. here's the problem if if a person is lower income they maybe they already have kids maybe they have a job maybe it's in one of these states that only has a tiny handful of abortion clinics and they have to travel cross country in order to get the abortion right so this the 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 it all starts to stack up against the person in need the person mm-hmm. who needs the the abortion and and all of this is done on religious grounds on right. religious quote unquote religious freedom and what the satanic temple is doing is um is saying no we have religious rights as well and these restrictions uh violate our religious freedom mm-hmm. and um and so they they incorporate a religious ritual. It's very simple and very short um, into the abortion process. I'm not. I might not be articulating this well. So definitely go back and listen to my interview with Jane Essex about this. Um, she is the spokesperson for for the reproductive rights campaign of TST. And um, more religions need to do this. More more religions need to use the the ground set by the Christian nationalists in order mm. to claim their yes. religious right. It shouldn't just Absolutely. be Satanists. It should right, also because, be right. Protestants. It should also be pagans. Well, and that so brings on. me to a quote that um, is it coming from chapter 10 of her book where she says, are we a nation in which one brand of religion enjoys a place of privilege? Are we a nation of laws, except in cases where the law offends the feelings of those who subscribe to our preferred mm. religion? Will we recognize the equal dignity of all our citizens? Or are we the kind of society that heaps contempt upon those groups that our national religion happens to despise? Yeah. And at the beginning of the very next chapter, 
she talks about, she says, what today's Christian nationalists call religious liberty is in reality a form of religious privilege for their kind of religion. Right. But privilege is never free. It comes at the expense of other people's rights. Right. Yes. Right. And she nails it. She does. A- she absolutely. Is, she is so succinct in calling out the injustices. Right. That's that's one of the things that I love so much about this book and that I feel like especially all of the, the talk about abortion and rights and everything that we're going through right now is that the aim of Christian nationalism is to create a favorable religious practice. It's to create it is a theocracy. Incredibly discriminatory. It it does in the name of freedom. It seeks to dismantle every freedom that you have that offends or is not profitable to this specific group. Exactly because the aim is a theocracy, not a democracy. Right. Are either of you aware of the term Seven Mountain Dominionism? I wasn't oh, yeah. until I read this book. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, what you just said ties into Seven Mountain Dominionism, and just to really bring home the i the the reality that Christian nationalism it's about power, which is mm-hmm. why this book is called The Power Worshippers. It's it's about power and consolidating power in people who have a specific view of the world, and that is, inc- you know, our our culture is based on Enlightenment liberalism, which values uh, freedom of thought, freedom of expression. It values uh, multiculturalism. It values the division of church and state. And because, and it, you know, liberalism isn't perfect. It doesn't have a perfect track record. But it, but the great triumph of liberalism is that it, it allows for a for for it, it allows a diversity it, mm-hmm. yes thank you it allows yes. for a diversity and mm-hmm. therefore we all benefit from that yes and and it's self-correcting because of that this christian nationalism is a direct thwarting of those underlying principles that I know I'm going to sound like a conservative <laughs> saying this. <laughs> it, it, it is a direct threat on the underlying principles that that make our current world honestly one of the best times to be alive in human history. Mm. Yeah. Even though things are shitty politically right now, I it as as Rebecca, you as a woman, me as a gay guy, Matt, you as an honorary faggot. <laughs> um, uh, it it makes. It it those principles of liberalism are what have made the world more hospitable to people like mm. us. Yes, and yes. this Christian nationalism is a direct assault on that. And mm. yeah, well, and I would like to say we still have a really long way to go. Oh yeah, um, it, things are far from perfect, and are, liberalism itself is not perfect. It yeah. is not perfect. Such a long way to go, and. Yeah, this this was this was a fantastic book. This was this kind of book was like eye opening for me in that I've I feel like I've smelled a skunk for so many years. <laughs> you and I talked <laughs> and about then, this. Yes, and then this actually like gave because there there's so so many different things like culturally that I just took for granted as a kid. Um, all of the different things that um, the different places in which Christian media is being created and being yeah. broadcast into homes. I grew up listening to Focus on the Family. Oh yeah, Adventures with my in mom, Odyssey. Dr. Dobson, Dr. James Dobson. Yeah. Um find there's this financial advisor named Larry Burkett. 
is also mentioned in the book. Dave Ramsey. Dave, Dave Ramsey. Ramsey. I mean, they're my parents. All have of these books. people. They, it seems so benign. It seems so like we're just giving information to Christians who are trying to live a better life. We're giving information to parents who are at their wits end and don't know how to raise their kids or need some pointers or want to make sure that they're doing it correctly. And I feel like there are these people who are like, I am happy to sweep in and tell you what God wants you to do with your finances. I'm happy to show you how God Mm -hmm. wants your children raised. And all of this is propaganda. It is. Because it's giving these generalized, very political, sorry, religiously charged information to people who are looking for it not taking into account that they are individual people, that they that not every one piece of advice is okay for every single person. Well, and, and also, also propping up those harmful ideologies at the same it time. It whitewashes a lot. Yeah. It assumes a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think something I'm closer to the mic. There you sorry. go. Sorry, this is this is my second podcast episode <laughs> yes these are You're her, doing so good she is doing so great this is my debut podcast <laughs> um matt and i were reading this book around the same time it mm-hmm. was after steven had read it and we both uh started in on it and i just kept having these moments of this spider web yes. of feelings that i like these things these little puzzle pieces that I've been trying to fit together yes. my entire life that yeah. had never makes made sense. These these bits and pieces that I've been trying to weed out from like, okay, what what is my actual faith? Yeah. And I, I had done this by examining the different strands of Christianity mm-hmm. and seeing what held up and right. what was different. Right. Um and then again like again what I felt to be right. And what I what I knew to be right mm-hmm. um, about you know how we should treat each other yeah. with kindness and love and not being judgmental yeah um, yeah and and so I I had begun to tease out like the hard truths from the propaganda mm-hmm. and Matt you used a word earlier in the first episode demystifying and in my notes I had written like detoxifying our faith. Mm. And um, below that, I wrote gaslighting, indoctrination, and social hierarchy. Yeah, as things, and you know, these these are all like things on the periphery. And reading this book kind of pulled everything into focus. It filled in the missing jigsaw pieces, and it was this big aha moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the exact same experience because it it was like a bird's eye view or it was like Catherine Stewart gave me the map yes. to to understand my childhood yes. <laughs> to like to like navigate what the fuck i so had experienced we were on of therapy. and and so <laughs> i found i found it really relieving mm. yes because it's like this this is what i experienced this explains the historical and philosophical and political underpinnings of what I grew up with. Yeah. And, it, and it also made me think, oh, I wasn't crazy. Yes, exactly, because there's this gaslighting, <laughs> right. and, and then, you, and then right. you emerge from the world. You know, it's like that show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where, yes. you, where you emerge from the Love bunker. Love that show. And yeah. you're, trying to, you're trying to tell people what you went through, and you just can't. Like, yeah. you're trying to tell other people who didn't experience this what you lived through in the evangelical world, and it's so fucking hard, and you walk away from from it being like, am I the crazy one? Am I just overreacting to this? Right. Now, <laughs> now here's, a, here's a little bit of a, 
history history nugget. Uh, yes. The three of us all went to Montreat College. <laughs> yes, we, we were all the three in of biology us met together. In bio- we all sat together in biology <laughs> class together. Granted, there were only four of us in the class. Yeah, the other one I don't oh, remember. She was a baseball person. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but she I was just a baseball person. <laughs> That's code for lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I remember just like there were times, um, not in biology specifically, but just at Montreat in general, when, when I and others were feeling frustrated with the state of things and mm. would occasionally read through the Bob Jones uh, code of conduct guidelines to make <laughs> ourselves feel better that Montreat at least wasn't as bad as Bob Jones. Right. And, you know, just a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend who, one of my few friends who never was exposed to the church as a child. Right. Ever, right. which was shocking to me because I have friends that are atheists, but they were all, they, they all rejected the church. Right. They all left. And I get it. Uh-huh. But this friend never had been exposed to Christian ideology mm-hmm. in the same way and had an outsider view. So I was trying to explain Bob Jones to this person and they were very skeptical that such a thing could exist. Right. And for those who don't know, Bob Jones is a very conservative Christian college. South Carolina? North Carolina? Yeah. South Carolina. In South Carolina. And um, it's just wild. I, I think the the rating on movies that you're allowed to watch in the dorm is like G. <laughs> uh, right. For for adults. For, for adults. For these are teens. And you have to have a chaperone to go off campus yeah and and she she talks about bob jones in this book actually in, in relation to the um, racist ideology the racist ideology their, yeah their teachings are, are yeah. based in and so it comes back again to controlling bodies and controlling minds and and did you feel gaslit at montreat i did when you tried to bring this up yeah well, when you I, tried to address this of course oh yeah Absolutely. Because we're the crazy ones. We're because the crazy we're, ones. We're the ones who are like, maybe this isn't normal. And everyone's like, this is normal. Yeah. Shut up. We're right. the ones well, and who are like, who, they are constantly saying, well, you just don't understand. Right. And you don't, you don't realize how far we've come. And I feel like my response to that now is when you see injustice or unfairness or inequitability, it's your job. To right. do something about it if you're in a position to. Right. And things are reaching a fever pitch where everybody's hand is being forced one way. You're either going to get on board or you're not. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like it's it's in those moments. And these happen to everybody in life. Montreal was a really small moment in hopefully what are long, happy, prosperous lives for us. I did make a lot <laughs> but, of good friends there. And yeah. We all grew from that bonding We met experience. each other. Yeah. Yeah. But it just taught me. Like it, it even or it reinforced in my mind that I am absolutely fine being an outsider. Yeah, yeah that same. there are things about Christianity that I did find comfort in, that I found community in, that I found belonging in. But all those different things also exist outside of Christianity. They're also just very human things yes. that happen when you find like-minded people, when you're headed towards a like-minded goal or when you're enjoying life together, you don't have to do them all in the confines of Christendom. That, right. that Christendom is just a name that we put onto different things. It's just a thing that we were taught 
to put as a label that we were taught to put on different things and we can relabel we have the ability if this book has like reinforced anything in me is that you absolutely have the ability to relabel the way that you view people and circumstances and the things that are happening politically and things that are happening within this specific subsect of religion to empower yourself and to help elevate the people around you yes and the great lie i think of fundamentalist religion oh is yeah. that they are the sole proprietors of the good stuff yeah they are they are the sole proprietors yes. of those things of the human right. of that, this is awesome. what a capitalism of religion gets you it yeah, is exactly. gets you a superpower and everything else is flawed is and impure broken and evil. yeah um and will ultimately lead you to destruction. Right. Yep. I, I do want to say that there are probably not three better people who are more primed to appreciate this book and to love it <laughs> than we are. And I know that there's nobody else like on the podcast like naysaying uh, Catherine's books. I just want to uh, acknowledge the... Uh, the equitable thought happening here <laughs> towards this book. Um, but I will say that one of the things I really enjoyed uh, about her book was uh, just based off my own experiences, I thought that, number one, she was very, very good at documenting her sources. Absolutely. And a lot of them coming from her own real life experience and the research that she did to compile this book together. I was so impressed. It's impeccable. Oh, yeah. I love it. I mean, the it. back quarter of the book, I feel yeah, like, is no, well, all just, of these references. There was a point where you and I were talking about like where we were in the book. I would like, yes. text you, like, oh my gosh, I just finished this chapter yes. and I'm shook. Mm-hmm. And um, So shook. So shook. <laughs> and I was reading it on my Kindle. I had it ebook shout out to the library you can get ebooks through your library go check it out um thank you madam librarian <laughs> use your public library support them <laughs> fund them please anyway um and my kindle tells me like oh you're 30 way 30 percent of the way through the book and matt was telling me oh you're like 50 percent of the way through the book because you have a hard copy you bought it yeah right yeah 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 and i was like no i'm like 30 percent of the way through because like you said, a quarter of the book is just references. It's documentation. It's yes. so well documented. Yeah. I love that. I love all of the other books that I now need to go read that are referenced yep. in this book. Yeah. Um, so it, excellent, excellent journalism. And there were there were times, even as somebody who's not a Christian now, I, I understand the position that she's in sort of dismantling this, this faith system, this belief system. Yes. And there were times where I felt like she was being so fair oh yeah to both sides oh, where yes. i felt like she would have been completely in her rights to kind of rip somebody a new asshole and she decided <laughs> to like to hold back and maintain uh, a perspective of it that she that did. didn't didn't seem like it was unnecessarily damning of people in these situations it felt very empathetic to me she was very very good at presenting this in a human way mm. in, in a way that said this is where these ideas came from. This is how they've grown. This is how they've impacted these people who, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. So, and one of the things that she talks about, I think in the introduction to the book, is that this is not a critique of Christianity. Mm. Yes. And I really, really appreciated that, that she is not critiquing Christianity as a whole. Mm. And one of, I think, the most important points that she made is that this is 
maybe maybe the most effective people at combating this will be other Christians. Yes, and, and they will be conscientious objectors within the Christian faith, and yeah. that we we so we really really need other Christians. Uh, claiming their own religious freedoms and their yes. own religious right and saying, no, Christian dominionism, seven, seven Mountain Dominionism and Christian nationalism do not represent my faith. The entirety of Christianity. Right. And the entirety well, and of Christianity. And those she, are the people who, who will really win the fight in the yes. end, probably. She does point out at the end of the book, too. She, you know, she t- mentions in the conclusion that she has taken a very specific viewpoint in this book. Hmm. And, and, and has hyper-focused yeah. on this one issue and that there are Christian organizations and Christian groups that are s- taking a stand and fighting back. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved that. Which I felt comforting. I did too. Because I feel like this is, if you, <laughs> I mean, if you do identify as Christian, uh, I mean, make no mistake about it. Like your rights are being, t- our jobs were taken away. Because of this very thing, because we were not willing to secede yeah, Matt, to what you, we believed to be. Yes. Do you want tell to talk that story more about very, money? In a very, tell that story in a nutshell. Yes. How do you sum oh up? My God. How, How do, do you, you sum it up? Sum that up. <laughs> I was leaving for grad school as this was going on. That was my "I'm peacing out" <laughs> moment. Yeah. Uh, but, but we were both working at Montreat at the time. Yeah, we were both working at Montreat. I was a professor. I was doing. Uh, I had started a music business program there an audio production program there um i was enjoying my time with kids it was i knew that the institution itself was a christian college but its political affiliations had varied throughout the years and so a lot of the people that i knew worked there had a very differing uh interpretation of christianity everybody kind of thought something different but it was a very wide table yeah. At which a lot of people that were kind of under this under this umbrella of Christendom, there could were a fit. lot of different denominations, and it was very inviting and warm and welcoming, and it was a place to help. It was a place to help educate people on how to how to see the world with empathy. It wasn't this indoctrinating place, yeah. Um, of like, there's this one form of Christianity. Well, it ultimately ended up falling into financial ruin there was a financial crisis they in their best attempts at trying to salvage this school ended up hiring a president to come in who is very seemed very kind of on board with this christian nationalist ideology um and he ended up enforcing all of these very strange and bizarre sort of directives for the staff and the faculty and one of those was this very specific interpretation of the scriptures, which which is a very Christian nationalist, I feel like, interpretation it is. of the Bible and scriptures. And so yeah. while we're on campus, we're seeing our, our friends in the LGBTQ community, um, black students, being discriminated against. Openly. Openly, seeing, seeing different conversations sort of be quelled, intellectual inquiry being quelled in many different ways. And so ultimately they, it came down to, hey, you can either sign this document of faith. Um, it, was a, it was a faith and conduct it, statement. It was the employee handbook. And I distinct, I have so many distinct memories from yeah. this because, sorry, I'm cutting, I'm jumping in You're here. You're good. You're good. Um, they, they had what they called listening sessions where, right. and they had several of them to make sure that all the employees were able to attend, which was nice of them. Right. 
<laughs> but, you know, I, I went to one and you were handed the document. Right. As you entered the room, it was numbered and you were told you are not allowed to leave the room with this right. document. It was done you, in secrecy. It was done in secrecy. You had to sign your name out as part of the meeting. Like, oh, you know, Rebecca has document 167. Right. And because uh, they knew that there were so many different things right. in this document that were problematic and that would have been an absolute PR nightmare for them exactly. to get out. Exactly. That they were requiring of their professors. The secrecy, and they told us not to take pictures of it. So am I going to get sued for no. conversation no. about no, this? No, they don't have the money to sue NDA. you. Oh, no, they're, they're still in financial ruin. <laughs> so all of this was in, was, it was, was spin to us as, hey, like we essentially don't want to be sued for discrimination, and if we lean into these religious, uh, we these religious um, laws that have been passed that essentially allow us to discriminate, then we can't be held accountable for them. So this is a school that, although it is a private Christian institution, is receiving federal financial aid. Right. And so federal law, which she talks about in this She book, does. She talks about how these different institutions right. like circumnavigate that. Right. And this is a complete circumnavigation of fairness and equitability. Yeah. Um, that happens within the private school system. And so essentially what happened was we weren't capable personally of signing a document that we felt like, no, I'm sorry, not that we felt like, that we knew was discriminatory against LGBTQ and other minorities and other as minorities well. Yeah. as well. And we felt like it was an absolute bastardization of the experience of Christianity as a whole to whittle all of it down to these, this very specific interpretation that allows for a very small group of people to stay in power and for everybody else to constantly have none of it. Well, and, and the clincher the meeting that I went to, there was another staff member who brought up a concern that this was leaning towards fundamentalism. Right. And the president looked her dead in the eye and said, I assure you it is not. Right. And that's untrue. And that is a blatant lie. Right. And this is all while this is happening, people are experiencing absolutely horrific mistreatment yes from the president and the vice president at the same time so it's it's yet again in in my life personally another example of these people who are put in positions of power and people mistake uh a job mm -hmm. for spiritual dominance over other people yeah. yes it was absolutely yeah. horrific. So if yeah. you like, so here's the thing: if you think that this isn't happening in the world, or you think that it's sensationalist, yeah, I'm just telling you, based off my own personal experience, I lost my job because of this shit. Yeah, and it goes my it is, and so so many people have lost so much more than I did. I feel like I should be the last person to cry foul because I feel like I've lived a very rich and meaningful and happy life. But it's with also its, own traumas, it's but, also disenfranchising those students oh my god yeah i mean it, it cheats them out of an actual education it cheats them out of an actual actual education and it forced everyone every one of their professors or like the staff on campus who were supportive of them and i'm, I'm speaking specifically about you know the lgbt lgbtq and, and minority yeah. communities on campus um and there was outcry amongst the students at the time, and it just cheated them of support. Right. 
Yep. My experience when I was there as a student was prior to all this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I and I had professors who were not gay affirming but mm-hmm. were very thoughtful about it. Yeah. And they would yeah. sit down with me and we would have conversations and they but the respect that I felt from them was palpable. Mm. Yes. And yeah. those are the ones who got shoved out. And then yeah, and then there were other professors who were 100% affirming and I would have conversations with them as well. And if the point of an education is to be exposed to to different worldviews right. in a respectful manner, mm-hmm. then I really got that. But yeah. Christian nationalism shut all of that seeks down. to create a monoculture out of Christianity. It does exactly to have no diversity exactly. in it whatsoever. Well, and, and again, something that I've been reflecting on is it just look at who's in power, look at who the system privileges. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the three of us are more you know, liberals on mm-hmm. the liberal side and are putting in the work to critically examine systems of power in our society. Right. And, you know, why would you not do that to your faith, to your religion? And many people have and have chosen to leave. Mm. Um, but something that she talks about in the book and I thought was really hard hitting like you know if everyone leaves christianity which a isn't going to happen right but you know if all the people who see problems with christianity Mm -hmm. simply up and leave it will never be fixed right this is something that is not only affecting the political spectrum and the world at large but it is Mm. eroding the underpinnings of the christian faith right from within right it you know, the yep. things that are good mm-hmm. and wholesome about Christianity because I do believe that there are such things, but yeah. I do I, I think there's a heavy amount of corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are not in a place to say question any of that, yeah, or push back or say who is our current <clears throat> system privileging, who's benefiting the most? from mm-hmm. this that's a problem yeah and you're taught in within that faith that to to push back is to be rebellious it, I or, feel to, like I was or to have to, yeah, lost your way or to have lost my way and and the thing is that there are people that come into christianity because they decide to to buck the system that they are in right <laughs> it's a complete non sequitur right to say that it's sometimes sometimes it's worth lighting a match to something or just throwing a stone through the window just to see what the window's made of because that's how you learn that's how you understand something's value that's part of our experience of being human it's what kids do every day right is test boundaries and learn how things operate so that they have a greater understanding and can appreciate the richness of the world around them it's a sense of play almost it's a sense of curiosity and i think those things are wonderful yeah and if you are someone who is afraid of questions being asked because you are afraid of what the answer might be, that's a problem. Yep. That's, that feels like a red flag to mm. me that, that maybe your faith isn't what it should be. And or what it could be. Or what it could be. Sure. And your general life philosophy and your community are not what they should be. Mm. Right. Yeah. If curiosity is not something that's supported, yeah, Big red flag. Yeah. Huge. I, 
I think that's a great note to end on. Do we have any final thoughts before we bring this in for a landing? Oh, I have so many thoughts about this book. <laughs> <laughs> she's on podcast number two and she's already a, a seven-headed hydra of, of commentary now. Ex- well, we could all look forward to Madam Librarian being on future episodes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but I will say you should go read this book and hopefully... You'll get something good out of it. I hope that it's as enriching yes, for your understanding absolutely. of what's happening in America. Whether it's, you know, an enrichment of, I mean, get, let's face it, everyone has a conservative Christian in their life. Whether it's <laughs> oh, fam- yeah. family we member. All, we one all have six. a conservative one Christian. Six. Yeah. Um, you, know, you, you probably know someone, maybe you don't, but a lot of people have conservative family members. So maybe this will be a point of empathy. Yes. Understanding. Mm, absolutely. I, I wish that as well. All right. Well, thus ends the first uh, book club episode. I do hope that you enjoyed this two-part series. If you did, please let me know. Um, let me know your thoughts on this format and if you would like to see me do more of them. As always, you can contact me at Stephen Bradford Long forward slash contact. I love hearing back from my audience. If you have thoughts, if you have criticisms, if you don't agree with us, or if you just want to agree very vigorously with us, please send me an email. I can't wait to hear back from you. Also, do... <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, also, if you are interested in buying this book, uh, you can get it all over the place. But I do want to put in a plug for bookshop.com. Uh, do- bookshop.org. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Librarian. Um, bookshop.org. I We have a rock candy bookshop. Uh, I will post a link in the show notes. You can buy Power Worshippers on there, and it will come from an indie bookshop, and then 10% of what you pay for the book will support Rock Candy, uh, which is our recording studio here. So definitely go read the book. Definitely read a lot more books and, uh, you know, hole yourself up in a cave with a bunch of books to get through (laughs) this trying time if you need to. That's what I've been doing. There you go. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by the Jelly Rocks and Eleven D Seven. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. Matt, which show or which uh, song should we close out for this episode? Uh, let's close out with Natsunoya. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. We'll close out with that one. The artwork is by Ramakrishna Das. This is a production of Rock Candy Media, and this show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long. As always, hail Satan, and we'll see you next week. Nights into Saturdays Winter left a mess that the summer rains wash away Six months of coming unglued Just laughing till we cry till we run out
like homo, you've been my truth. Every plan I've made has changed, but you.